Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. A serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off Ball, The Life in 147 Days. I am your host and storyteller, Andrea Wilson-Woods. Whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. Let's get started. Days 51 through 52, Thursday through Friday, July 5th through the 6th, 2001. Two smiley faces. Greetings from Sedona. I warn you in advance this letter might end up being a bit long. Driving out here made me come to terms with what's going on in my life right now. Hell, what else can you do in a car for 10 hours but think? You have been an amazing, influential force and source of inspiration for me. If it wasn't for you, I don't think I would be this far along, alive, in my cancer. It was always a dream of mine to meet you. I achieved that dream. If nothing else, I succeeded in that. If I can achieve one of my greatest dreams in life, what makes me think I can't defeat cancer? I now have the strength and courage to fight this. I have the mindset to keep myself positive in this hellhole. Before this, I kept thinking about how I could lose my hearing and how I would rather die than live life deaf. Music is the bane of my existence. With your advice, I have been keeping myself in the moment and have forgotten all consequences of chemo. I'm a happier, healthier person thanks to you. Thank you again, Dave. I don't know what else to say or do to prove my gratitude. With love and admiration, Adrian. Adrian's letter to Dave, written in her journal, dated June 30th, 2001. We left Arizona yesterday morning, which was the 4th of July. Coming home, the drive only took eight hours. I promised John we would be back in time to see fireworks. We have a perfect view of the city's annual show from our house. However, he didn't bother to come outside and watch them. Adrian peered up at the sky for a few minutes before going in. She was feeling lightheaded and had a low-grade fever again. I felt empty as I watched the fireworks dazzle the sky, reminding me of Adrian's various hair colors over the last year. Red, purple, blue, and then blue again. The doctors won't let her dye the stubble that clings to her scalp, but they have given her medicine labeled with a skull and crossbone. This world makes no sense. Unable to muster up any enthusiasm, I go inside too. The fireworks already forgotten. When the red faded, Adrian's friends nicknamed her Matchstick in flame because her hair was yellow, orange, and red, much like a lit match. Two months later, the night before her middle school graduation, Adrian dyed her hair again. She chose purple, which ended up looking mostly brown mixed with lavender because she did it herself. She cut her bangs in the shape of a rainbow and wore a long-sleeved black lace dress from Hot Topic. One of her teachers wasn't pleased, but the school told the students they could wear anything they wanted as long as they complied with the dress code. For girls, that meant no spaghetti straps, no bare midriffs, 
no skirts more than three inches above their knees, and no open-toed shoes. Adrian looked more goth than ever, but she followed the rules so no one could stop her from wearing what she wanted. As an honor student, Adrian sat in the front row on the stage. Behind her, the other students were seated alphabetically. Besides the UCLA Creative Writing Scholarship, Adrian won the President's Education Award for Outstanding Academic Achievement, the California Junior Scholarship Federation CJSF Honor Award for Academic Excellence, the Outstanding Portfolio Award for her eighth grade writing portfolio, and the Pathfinders AAA Award for Maintaining A's in English, History, and Science. Every time Adrian got up to receive an award, I cried. The CJSF award came with a medal, which lay on top of the black lace of her dress. John and I beamed. We must have been the proudest parents in the audience that day. Teachers, students, and parents flooded the front lawn after the ceremony. People approached me. Some I knew, others I didn't. A chorus erupted around me. I had no idea. You must be so proud. That kid is smart. You did good. I protested. I didn't do it. Adrian did. Congratulate her. They wouldn't listen to me, nor did they acknowledge John, who was standing at my side. I didn't understand why they seemed so surprised by Adrian's success until I caught sight of her, laughing with her friends, her purple hair gleaming in the sunlight. I laughed too. These people, some of whom were parents of Adrian's friends, had thought she was stupid or a slacker or both. They had judged her based on her appearance. You proved them wrong, kiddo. You shattered that stereotype today. That's my girl. I wake up feeling anxious while Adrian is downright grouchy. I ignore her crankiness, but I know if she were well, I would have told her to get over it. Maybe she is as nervous as I am. Today we meet Dr. Aquino, the liver cancer specialist referred by Kirsten. We should have gotten a second opinion weeks ago, but the health insurance held us up. I don't expect a miracle. I only want some hope. A miracle would be nice, though. Dr. Aquino runs the gastrointestinal clinic at UCLA Medical Center, a hospital famous for its liver transplant program. Compared to Children's Hospital, the waiting room's decor is bland, beige walls combined with flowered wallpaper. With only adults occupying the chairs that line the perimeter of the room, their noise is minimal. Adrian sinks into a padded chair, adjusting her body weight to find the most comfortable position. It's quiet here, she says. I like it. Ignoring the avocado pit of anxiety in my stomach, I read my list of questions again. I will be firm, confident. We need straight, honest answers. As I glance around the room, I notice people looking at Adrian. She is the only child here. I see empathy in the eyes of the other caregivers, spouses, friends, siblings, and children of the ill. We share a mutual understanding. We feel helpless. After more than an hour, Adrian and I are escorted into an examination room. We speculate about Dr. Aquino. What will he look like? How will he treat us? How much experience does he have? The door opens and all I can think is first impressions matter. With dark hair and dark eyes, he stands at medium height. He is younger than I expected, older than me, but much younger than Dr. No. He possesses an air of reserved pleasantness, like someone who is wary of making new friends, but open to the possibility. 
We exchange a few niceties before I get down to business. Do you mind if I ask you some questions, Dr. Aquino? I ask. Go ahead. I see you have a list, he smiles. I smile back. How many HCC patients have you treated before and have you ever treated a PED? Well, we see about six cases per week in all stages of disease, but no, I have never treated a pediatric patient before. I do the math in my head, over 300 cases a year. Do you mind speaking to our family friends, Kirsten, who referred you, and Dr. Sophia Sarkozy, a doctor at NIH? Of course not. Let me ask you, both of you, he looks at Adrian and me, what are your expectations? Damn, I didn't expect him to interrupt me. Is this a test? If so, what's the right answer? I glance at Adrian before speaking. We don't expect a miracle. Yes, we do. No numbers, no predictions of, I can't even finish the sentence. We want you to treat the cancer, which we know isn't typical for a PED. At Children's, the doctors don't seem open to trying other therapies because Adrian's a minor. Fair enough, he says. Adrian, your age will be an issue in most clinical trials, but there are exceptions. Adrian nods as a smile appears on her face. Dr. Aquino used her name and spoke directly to her. Will the statistics about HCC affect how you treat Adrian? Statistics are just numbers that serve as a rough guide. I don't believe they're relevant once you start treating the individual patient. I believe attitude is important. A person must be willing to fight. There is evidence that the immune system and the brain are connected. Also, I want my patients to understand their disease and know all of their options. Did someone give this man a script? He's saying all the right things. I don't like staying in the hospital, says Adrian. I don't know anyone who does, replies Dr. Quino. We can make sure you are home as much as possible. I look into the doctor's eyes. Okay, tell us what you would do differently. Since the standard protocols of chemotherapy have been administered with no success, I would recommend a treatment that combines Zolota, another chemotherapy drug, with interferon alpha, a drug that stimulates the body's own immune system in order to fight the disease. Zolota can be administered orally, and interferon is a shot given in the arm three times per week. In both instances, he looks at Adrian, you can stay home. Really? asks Adrian. Yes, he replies before turning back to me. I nod my head as I gnaw on the corner of my lip. Didn't someone tell us about interferon before? It sounds familiar. Can you spell Zolota? I ask. Adrian smiles. Sissy, it's almost like Ziola. That's my hamster, she says to Dr. Aquino, who nods as if all of his patients have pet hamsters. Of course. I chuckle because Adrian the world's worst speller, is telling me how to spell a drug that begins with the letter X. After I finish taking notes, I extend my hand to Dr. Aquino. Thank you for your time. You've been very helpful. I will follow up with you after I talk to Adrian's health insurance. Maybe we can transfer her care to UCLA. If you have any questions, just call, he says. Adrian, he extends his hand to her. It was a pleasure. Sure, nice to meet you. Dr. Aquino, one more thing, I say. Yes, he asks. We'll need copies of all of Adrian's medical records, labs, reports, everything. Is that a problem? 
Not at all, he replies before walking out. I like him, says Adrian. He didn't talk down to us. I like him too, kiddo. I like him too. Adrian wakes up on Friday morning with a temperature of 100.3 degrees. Since we are spending most of the day at the hospital, I don't call Dr. No. She has three tests scheduled for today, a hearing test, a CAT scan, and an echocardiogram, and she will get the stitches removed from the opening Dr. Jorge made when he inserted her central line. We will also visit the clinic so she can get her labs done. Neither one of us is looking forward to the long day ahead of us. Today, I will tell Dr. No we want to change oncologist. It's too soon to transfer to UCLA. That will take weeks to sort out with the insurance, but in the meantime, we want someone else, a doctor who understands us, a doctor who believes in possibilities, a doctor who has hope. Of all the tests Adrian is continually subjected to, the echocardiogram is by far the easiest one, both physically and mentally. Adrian does not have to lie flat on her back like she does for a CAT scan, and she does not have to worry about her heart failing the way she worries about losing her hearing. Even though I know the chemo can cause heart damage, I don't torture myself with the impending results like I do with a CAT scan. For some reason, I connect Adrian's spirit with her heart. I can't imagine one working without the other. Her spirit is strong, her heart must be. I soon realized the naivete in my thinking a few minutes into the echocardiogram. The technician glides the device over Adrian's chest, just above her heart. I watch the monitor as the most important muscle in Adrian's body beats quickly but steadily, like the thumping of an excited dog's tail against linoleum when its owner walks in the door. Then I see the technician frown. What's wrong? I ask, feeling my shoulders as they harden like steel, my body becoming rigid unmoving. I cannot say, says the man whose name I never bothered to get. What is it? My alto pitch voice turning into a shrill. Adrian looks at him, but she is too tired to respond. What do you see? I cannot say. Do you see something? I ask as I squeeze Adrian's hand without thinking. Ouch! Watch it, sissy. Adrian yawns and closes her eyes. You must discuss the results with, the man glances at Adrian, her doctor. He says her doctor with such finality, I can feel an invisible door slamming in my face. Thanks, asshole, for giving me something else to worry about. Thanks a lot. Our 1 p.m. appointment with Dr. No does not fare well either. The nurse ushers us into an examination room right away, but then Adrian falls asleep as we wait over an hour for the good doctor to show up. I know he must be busy with another patient, but I cannot help feeling frustrated with him, the technician, the hospital, and the cancer. With Adrian asleep, I have no one to talk to, nothing to stop my thoughts as they run awry. Is Adrian's heart okay? What will the CAT scan show? Please let her hearing be normal. Who am I talking to? God? No. No God would allow this to happen. Who then? What am I going to say to Dr. No? How will I fire him? My thoughts come to a screeching halt when the door opens and a nurse walks in. Adrian stirs, opens her eyes, and wakes up. 
Let's take a look at your line, says the nurse. Adrian removes her shirt but leaves her bra on as I help her put on a gown. The nurse removes the dressing. Looks good. We can go ahead and remove the stitches. Who are we? Why do people say we when they mean I? Adrian winces as the nurse cuts the black threads that appear stronger than fishing line. Snip, snip. One more. Snip. There. All done. The nurse puts a new dressing over the insertion point. You can put your shirt back on. The doctor will be with you shortly. She leaves the room, closing the door behind her. Adrian looks wary. That hurts, sissy. I'm sorry, kiddo. What time is it? Adrian never wears a watch. After two, I reply. I want to go home. I know. I nod in agreement. Me too. I promise her I will talk to Dr. No as quickly as possible. I'm sure he will appreciate my efficiency since I'm probably one of his least favorite parents. On some level, I understand how he must feel. As a teacher, I've had my share of pain in the ass parents, the ones who always grate on your nerves because they constantly bug you about their child's education. They call you during your lunch, they call you after school, or worse, they call you during school while you're teaching their kid. Usually their child is failing and they want to know what they can do about it. I always want to say, you cannot do anything. Your child needs to do the work. Am I one of those parents now? Is that why Dr. No acts the way he does? No, I tell myself. It's not the same thing. Kids can work hard to improve their grades, but Adrian cannot make her liver work. Can she? Is there a crazy mind over matter Scientologist type treatment we haven't tried? <sighs> Stop! The serenity prayer pops into my head. I see it etched on a small plate glued to a piece of wood, lying in a drawer, one of the few references to religion in my childhood home. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. All I can think right now is, fuck God. Dr. No interrupts my internal rant against God when he walks in and asks how Adrian is doing. His bow tie is especially bright today. It screams happy, but his face says otherwise. The test results are not back yet, so we discuss the myriad of side effects Adrian has been experiencing since the second round of chemo ended. More nausea, more vomiting, some headaches, less constipation, and no pain since June 25th. He seems unmoved by her lack of pain, so I repeat myself. She's had no pain since June 25th. No Dilaudid. He nods. I realize now is the time to tell him. Just say it. Why is this so hard? I look at him. We want to switch oncologists. You are not a good match for our family. For a moment, I see his soul as if someone opened the blinds, which reveal a flash of regret and sadness in his eyes. Then he blinks and the blinds close, his blue eyes back to neutral. I wonder if Adrian saw his response. Why do I care about his feelings? So the man has a soul, so what? Dr. No nods again before speaking. I'll speak to your case manager, Teresa. I'm sure she can find someone more suited 
to you and your sister. Say her name, damn it. Adrian. Treat her like a person. This time I'm the one who nods while anxiety over a new doctor and relief over getting rid of Dr. No chase each other in my brain. Relief tags anxiety and wins the game. Any doctor is better than Dr. No. We never have to see him again. We arrive home. Both of us are exhausted by the long day. Adrian changes into her shorts and pajama top and watches television. I read my new book, Everyone's Guide to Cancer Therapy. I find the section on the liver and read. What causes it? Hepatocellular carcinoma most often develops in damaged livers. Long-standing infections with either hepatitis B or hepatitis C virus often precedes it and is therefore seen as a significant risk factor. Finally, Adrian is a textbook case. 15 years of living with hepatitis. I never got her tested. I didn't know. I think about how I have never been able to envision Adrian as an adult. It's stupid, but it has always bugged me. When she was a baby, I dismissed the thought, but as she got older, I wondered, why? Why can't I see her all grown up? Then I remember something Adrian said to me a few months ago, before this madness ensued. I believe you're psychic, sissy. You should read this. She gave me a book about developing your psychic energy. I only read it to humor her. What if she's right? The night before it happened, I sensed John was going to lose all the money he had invested in a tech stock, and I don't know a thing about the stock market. Coincidence. My dreams often come true. Doesn't that happen to everyone? I knew Adrian would live with me one day, even before our mother's mental state deteriorated. A logical conclusion given our mother's age, drug addiction, and parenting skills. I've had an unnatural fear of cancer since my early 20s right about the time Adrian moved in with me. But I'm the one that's supposed to get cancer. I've always known I would outlive everyone I love, even Adrian. But she's supposed to be 50-something, and I'm supposed to be 70-something. Or so I thought. No. I can't be psychic. That's ridiculous. What's the prognosis? Asked Adrian. <laughs> what, huh? question grants me a reprieve from my own mind and its questions. The prognosis? What does the book say? Oh, um, yeah. I read the subheading, Advanced Disease. I hesitate, but I can't lie to Adrian. She might pick up the book and read it herself. I keep my voice steady as I read aloud. Advanced Disease. The tumor involves all lobes of the liver and or has spread to involve other organs, such as the lungs, intra-abdominal lymph nodes, or bone. I stop. What else, sissy? I continue. Standard treatment. No standard therapy is known to prolong survival. I can't look at Adrian as I read the final line. Two-year survival, less than 5%. My throat constricts as I swallow the lump in it. I feel water rushing to my eyes as I bite the dry skin off my lip. I look at Adrian. Well, it didn't say 
I'll just be one of the less than 5% who survive. Adrian smiles at me. The glass is half full for her. Being honest with her was the right choice. Her boundless optimism squashes my tears. I return her smile. That's right, kiddo. You will. However, the words don't ring true. Adrian laughs as something on TV amuses her. She doesn't seem to notice my trepidation. I close my eyes and try to imagine Adrian as a healthy 20-year-old strolling through a college campus. But I can't see the picture. I see the pieces scattered like a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle in a box, but I can't make them fit together to form the whole. Why can't I see her in the future? Was the irrational cancer fear a warning I didn't heed? I believe you're psychic, sissy. No, I'm not. I can't be. Not this time. Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Bald, A Life of 147 Days. Please subscribe to my channel and stay tuned for the next episode. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days, a story told and written by Andrea Wilson Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>